Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. Our guest today is Dr. Carolyn Dean. She's not only an MD, she's an ND as well. That means she's a naturopath. She's the author of 27 books. The one we're going to focus on is The Magnesium Miracle, Discovering the Missing Link to Total Health. This book talks about lowering your risk of heart disease, preventing strokes and obesity, treating diabetes, and improving mood and memory. Now, Dr. Dean is the medical director of the Nutritional Magnesium Association. She's also the president of the Hallmark Dean Academy, U.S., and Hallmark Dean Laboratory, and she works closely with Dana Hallmark, inventor of the unique functional computerized urinalysis lab test. Dr. Dean and Ms. Hallmark teach laboratory technician, wellness counselor, and certified naturopathic courses in their licensed school. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Dr. Carolyn Dean, to its rainmaking time. Good evening. Aloha. Aloha, Kim. Thank you very much. And I have to say, though, that the Hallmark Dean um, uh, Lab, etc., that's been put on hold. When I moved to Maui, I could no longer keep up with those commitments. I welcome the correction and the update. I really want to applaud your work with magnesium because apparently people that have never even thought about the contribution of this unique element are getting a lot of help from it. Now, many naturopaths say they don't like to fractionalize supplementing, Uh, but there's something miraculous about magnesium. I want you to first share why you focus so much on this mineral. Yes, and, and that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it um, recently that about fractionalizing supplements. I mean, a naturopath would say, well, if you eat um, eat your vegetables and maybe do some juicing, etc., then you'll get your nutrients. But um, what I found out about this particular mineral is that it's it's pretty much been farmed out of the soil. And even if it is in the soil and happens to get into the plants, it's uh, easily cooked or processed out of the the end product. So, in fact, up to 80% of the whole population is not even getting the RDA of magnesium. And it's important because it helps the functioning of over 325 different enzyme systems in the body. And those have to do with just a myriad of, of um, processes in the body that may be affecting our ability to digest our food and process our food, synthesizing protein, transmitting nerve signals, relaxing muscles, and producing and transporting energy. So if you're low in energy, you could be low in magnesium. If your muscles don't seem strong enough, you could be low in protein. If you have any sort of muscle twitching or, or nerve irritation, it could be a magnesium deficiency. So it's, it is so important. And until I wrote the book and started getting massive response to it by people reading it and then taking magnesium and having benefits, I mean, I, I myself didn't realize how very important it was. Now, fluoride in the water gets rid of magnesium or ruins it. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It kind of antidotes it so that if you're drinking fluoridated water, that will be pushing out your magnesium. 
Why do you say in the book that calcium has been a major distraction? I want you to explain that. Mm. Well, um, when medicine got a hold of the fact that uh, women were getting osteoporosis, they decided that the treatment of osteoporosis was high intake of calcium. And, you know, kind of makes sense. Your bones are, are a good proportion of them is made up of calcium, but they didn't realize that the form of calcium that they were recommending was actually a form that's only about 4% absorbed. So the other 96% of that calcium pill that you're taking goes into your intestines and clogs them up. And what happens further to that is a lot of that calcium can actually precipitate in tissues and cause kidney stones, gallstones, heel spurs, and even calcification of breast cysts. And then that calcification is often looked upon as a, as a precursor to breast cancer. So there's so many reasons why high doses of calcium are are not good for us. On the other hand, when you look at magnesium, it's the mineral that kind of balances out calcium. They work together. Calcium tightens things up and magnesium relaxes them. If you have too much calcium, your muscles tighten up. And if you have enough magnesium um, in relationship to calcium, the muscles are, are, you know, relaxed and normal. So you get a situation where you have too much calcium, you have a heart, which is one big muscle, and that muscle can go into spasm, which is a heart attack. I just interviewed Dr. Peter Glidden, who wrote the book, The MD Emperor Has No Clothes, mm-hmm. the other day. He's also a naturopath. And one of the things he said was that we need calcium in order to make stomach acid. In your book, you say that stomach acid is essential for magnesium absorption. So I can see how they go together. Oh, yes, they do. And it's like you said at the beginning, don't isolate things. Because if you just focus on calcium, as the doctors have done, and get everybody on a calcium prescription, but don't tell them about magnesium or even boron or vitamin D or the other uh, nutrients necessary for bone, you create an imbalance. You actually create brittle bone. And the same can go for magnesium, I guess, except in the case of magnesium where um, there's an excess of it in what you're taking, you'll actually get a laxative effect that flushes out that excess magnesium. So there really isn't a threat of getting too much or getting an overload in the body. So it's really a very safe mineral for a person to work with. And what I actually tell most people is that if they get enough deep leaf, um, deep green leafy vegetables and uh, maybe some yogurt, dairy products, nuts and seeds, they can get most of their calcium needs right in their diet if they pay attention. And then magnesium, they can get a bit extra by taking Epsom salts baths or some magnesium citrate powders that they can stir into into water. And then if they have uh, mag- real magnesium deficiency symptoms, they could take magnesium supplements. This comes to another very confusing part, at least for me. I'm sure that people in the audience listening have been confused about the different types of magnesium to take. And I know you mention it in the book, 
the magnesium miracle. But for example, another guest that I had interviewed sent me the ancient minerals, the magnesium oil. Mm. And as I shared with you, I sprayed it on my skin and it itched too much. And I know that a lot of people, in order to get that spray on the skin, they dilute it. Mm-hmm. But is there any easier way to do it? Oh, yes. I mean, that some people, that doesn't bother them at all. But what I must say is uh, spraying magnesium on the skin is, is like going in the ocean and leaving the salt water on your skin. It kind of just sort of dries and can be itchy and a bit irritating. What um, some people would do is just spray it on and um, 20, 30 minutes later, just wash it off, take a quick shower. Because after about 30 minutes, um, what's going to be absorbed is already absorbed. Or you can get forms of magnesium to put on topically that are magnesium creams or gels. You can take Epsom salts baths. That's what I do is take a, a bath with some clay and uh, for detoxing and uh, with about two cups of uh, Epsom salts every day. And that's my kind of morning spa routine. And then the oral forms, the magnesium citrate powders in water, are the, the most common, commonly found in health food stores or there are different forms of capsules. Uh, for people that can't take oral magnesium without getting the laxative effect, there's even a form called angstrom magnesium, A-N-G-S-T-R-O-M, and that claims to be 100% absorbed because it's, it's broken down to such a tiny size that it's um, absorbed directly into the, the cells of the body where it's needed. And I know myself, um, that's the oral form that I use, and it's never given me the laxative effect. How do we order it? Where do we get it? There's a website that I recommend. I'll just tell people to go to my, my website under resources. Just look at my various magnesium recommendations. It's not my company, but sure. it's the one I use. That would be really helpful. Let's say you're going to take magnesium citrate or you're going to take this angstrom magnesium. Is there a certain time that's optimal to do it? Not really. I mean, some some people will find out for themselves when it's best. Uh, the main thing is to spread it out through the day if you're taking uh, the pill forms or the magnesium citrate forms because... If you take your daily dose all at once, that will set you up for the, for the laxative effect. Now, I'm not saying the laxative effect is particularly bad considering that 60% of the population is constipated. So for most people, it's a real boon. But if you're having more than two bowel movements a day, then you could be um, flushing out nutrients that are supposed to be uh, absorbed into your body. Uh, some people find that um, if they take uh, a dose at night, it helps them sleep. Other people say it, it might energize them too much. So it can be individual, but it, it can do um, um, your best work in the morning when you want energy for the day, and then maybe an, an Epsom salt bath at night or a little bit of magnesium at night. And then um, during the day, around uh, the middle of the day, you can take another dose. But um, the the uh, prescription, according to the the RDA, the recommended daily allowance, is about 400 milligrams. But most of us think that's really quite low. 
So we're talking about 600 to 800 milligrams of magnesium a day is a good amount. It's mentioned that magnesium is necessary when you're exercising. It helps with migraines, alcoholism, strokes, and obesity. I mean, that's a lot. I know it, it sounds bizarre, but that's why I started by saying how it can help um, digest your your protein it, and create energy, transmits nerve signals, relaxed muscles. So it can have all those effects. I get people who um, write me about how it's helped them with like a dozen different symptoms that they didn't even realize were due to a magnesium deficiency. I have, um, in the Magnesium Miracle book, I have a list of 22 conditions that we know there's been research on where magnesium is helpful, and that's anxiety and panic attacks, asthma, blood clots, constipation, cystitis and bladder spasms, depression, diabetes, fatigue, heart disease, hypertension, hypoglycemia, insomnia, kidney stones, migraines, all the musculoskeletal conditions like fibrositis, fibromyalgia, muscle spasms, eye twitches, cramps, chronic neck and back pain, nerve problems like the migraines, gastrointestinal spasms, any type of um, cramping, vertigo, confusion, all the, um, the female symptoms like PMS or dysmenorrhea, even infertility. That can be caused by spasming of the fallopian tubes. Premature contractions, preeclampsia and eclampsia in pregnancy are all magnesium deficiency, osteoporosis, Raynaud's, sudden infant death syndrome, tooth decay, and toxicity. The soil is so deficient now that it's mm-hmm. barely in the foods that we have. Is that true? Absolutely. I found a research paper that said uh, about 100 years ago in um, the daily diet, we would be getting about 500 milligrams of magnesium. And these days we're getting about 150 milligrams. So, I mean, that means there's just no way we can get it in our diet. I know when I was first asked to write the book by Ballantine Random House, I thought, well, you know, I know magnesium's good. I take a little bit of it. But it wasn't until I did the research, I realized that my little heart palpitations and my Charlie horses were severe magnesium deficiency symptoms. And that the reason why I wasn't taking enough is because I was getting the laxative effect when I took, you know, what I, what I should have required. So there are so many people who are, you know, going day by day with, with spasms. People, for example, who have esophageal spasms, you know, they'll, They'll swallow something and kind of cough and choke on it and maybe have difficulty swallowing. That's a magnesium deficiency. And I've had people who email me and they say as soon as they figured it out that it was magnesium, that the magnesium um, that they took cured their symptoms. I mean, that's pretty huge. In one of my ebooks, uh, I have a $5 ebook on magnesium on my site and I give all kinds of case histories where People are just telling me the most incredible stories. There's one older gentleman who told me that when he was a kid, he was a gymnast, and um, they would uh, rub their hands with chalk. And, and, you know, you've seen that, this whole business about keeping the sweat off their hands. It turns out he said it was a magnesium chalk, and he never had any problems until he stopped doing his 
gymnastics. And then over the years, he developed more and more magnesium deficiency symptoms. How interesting. I know. And I have a lot of um, clients. I do uh, telephone consultations and uh, a lot of clients who were former athletes. And they say that, you know, they were sidelined by muscle cramps and shin splints and migraines and just a whole host of magnesium deficiency symptoms because they sweat out their magnesium constantly with with their workout. I wish I knew about this when I was a tournament tennis player mm-hmm. because I was a servant volleyer and the fatigue that I would feel after two hours with that kind of an attack style game mm-hmm. was unbelievable. Gatorade was not enough. We didn't right, know about this then. Yeah, the Gatorade, you know, just replacing sodium and, and a lot of sugar. The sugar actually will drain out more magnesium. I know it's really it's really sad. Uh, um, few, if any, uh, physical therapists or trainers know about magnesium, but when they find out, they're just amazed. And I know there's some... Um, some different uh, companies who use magnesium and they'll they'll send out reports about their athletes doing well in the Olympics because they're taking magnesium. It's quite amazing. I thought it was quite astounding, the foods that block magnesium. I want to name a few things. First, I want to talk about the teas. Mm-hmm. I really want you to lay it on the line here about the teas. So many of us are told to drink green tea and black tea. But in the book, it's saying that the tannin in the tea binds and removes all minerals, including magnesium, from the body. Yeah, I know. It's it's like um, a balancing act where the antioxidants in tea can be very beneficial, of course, but then uh, there is caffeine in most teas. There's tannins in teas, and I think it's... Um, it's a ba- it's a balance of how much you take. Someone will look at green tea and all the wonderful things about it and think, oh, I can drink this instead of water. So they'll end up drinking a couple of quarts of green tea a day and then throw themselves out of balance because it is blocking minerals, including magnesium. But if you just stuck with one or two cups a day, you should be fine. Now, you also said that grains and seeds should be soaked for eight 8- to 12 hours to remove the phytic acid, but few people are willing to do this. What is phytic acid and why do we need to do this? Well, it's something in grains that it's found in the hulls of of seeds and the bran of grains, and it forms insoluble compounds with magnesium. It's probably there uh, to, uh, to keep animals from eating them. You know, it's it has a bitterness to it, so it's protective against animals. And, um, you know, it's not good for humans either unless you soak it away. But, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, what what I do with, uh, like, lentils, beans, and, and peas is I buy cooked, uh, organic canned cooked ones that have all that stuff removed. And... In terms of seeds, yes, they're more digestible if you soak them anyway. A lot of people who get into the habit find that they're just, they love them. You just, um, you know, have a, a plate and pour some water in and pour your, put your seeds in, put in the fridge overnight. And then in the morning you, you run the water off and there you have digestible seeds without the phytic acid. What does your husband think of what you do? <laughs> oh, he, 
whatever I put on the kitchen counter, he comes by and eats it. He has no questions. <laughs> <laughs> what does he think of what you're doing in the world? Oh, he loves it. He thinks I'm amazing. That's the right kind of husband to have, isn't it? I know. He's great. He's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, husband. Hello, Aloha. Husband. <laughs> <laughs> Obesity is rampant. It's not just here in the United States. Anywhere where there's American food, there's obesity around the world. You talked also about B vitamins in particular. Methylation needs mm -hmm. magnesium for the B vitamins to work. Can you explain that process to us? Well, I, I started to look into methylation around the autism, ADHD community where it seemed like these kids uh, had trouble methylating their B vitamins, which, which meant they weren't able to do certain things like uh, digesting the protein in um, milk and in um, casein and in gluten, the gluten protein. So um, it's, a, it's a difficult process to explain, but basically the, um, if you're not methylating, it can be because you don't have enough magnesium. And I don't have any, any um, scientific proof, but I know as soon as I give um, autistic or ADHD kids magnesium in some form, they start doing better on all levels. So I just assume that one of the things the magnesium doing is, is doing is helping the methylation process. Which helps with obesity, correct? Well, yes, the, with the um, B vitamins, um, along with magnesium, they help digest uh, the basic food groups. So it's, um, I think the, the obesity and B vitamins, I, I had this very interesting uh, uh, paper that I read where uh, a certain obesity gene in rats they found that if they gave the genes with the obesity, if they gave the rats with the obesity gene enough B vitamins, then they did not express their obesity. How interesting. Right. So there, I mean, there's so much, it's called epigenetics where people think it's all about the genes, but it's actually about the vitamins and minerals that turn on or off the various genes. Can you talk a little bit about alcoholism? Because many, many people drink, even if they have two drinks a day. It doesn't mean they're an alcoholic necessarily, but there is a lot of drinking around the world. And what is the correlation that may be happening? Is this the missing mineral that may be impressing the person to drink on a biochemical level? What do you think? Well, that's what some early research um, in France um, was looking at, that a major cause of alcoholism is magnesium deficiency. And I couldn't find much more on that. The American research on alcoholism is if, um, if a person can be treated with magnesium, if they've had a brain injury and they've been drinking, it, it helps to heal the brain. But um, what we know about alcoholism is that um, it's a disease and to my mind, it's a deficiency of various vitamins and minerals where uh, maybe a person just isn't getting enough nutrients and feels a, a lack or feels a craving that alcohol seems to either fulfill, fills that craving or numbs that craving. 
But um, what I find is if um, I can get someone who wants to be treated for their their craving for alcohol and put them on the methylated B vitamins, vitamin C and magnesium, even just those three and vitamin yeah, vitamin C, the B vitamins and magnesium, then they start to lose their craving. How interesting. I want to ask you about testing. I've never heard of magnesium testing, deficiency testing. Talk a little bit about it. Talk about what we have available to us now that you're aware of. Well, that that is um, such a problem because only 1% of the body's total uh, amount of magnesium is in the bloodstream. So if you, you know, put your dipstick for magnesium in the bloodstream, you're not really going to get an accurate portrayal. And um, the blood itself, because it perfuses the heart and keeps the heart muscle functioning, then if there's um, not enough magnesium in the bloodstream, the feedback mechanisms from the body will just pull some out of the, the bones or the muscles. So it always keeps the blood looking pretty normal. So most of the blood tests that doctors do from the bloodstream look okay. So I think it got to a point where doctors just don't bother testing it because when you look at a standard chem screen, you'll you'll see sodium, potassium, calcium, but you won't see magnesium. And what, what I've been recommending is for people to get either a red blood cell magnesium test where maybe 40% of the body's magnesium is found in the cell, so the red blood cell can give you more accurate description. Or there's an EXA test, E-X-A-T-E-S-T, which is a scraping from the inside of the mouth where uh, under an electron microscope, they look at these stained cells and see the, the mineral content of the cells. So it's, it's still not as accurate as um, what the research labs have been using, which is an ionic uh, ion test of, uh, of magnesium. Right now, actually, I'm working with some people to, to try to encourage them to do more of the, these ionized magnesium tests because I think if, um, if you ran an experiment where in people who had magnesium deficiency, you ran their their serum test, their red blood cell test, and their ionic magnesium test, you'd find a great discrepancy. Do you think that we'll be able to take those tests in the next year? I I would hope so, but uh, the test, um, Burton and Bella Altura, the the doctors that wrote the foreword to my book, they actually um, worked with this, uh, this test and uh, I thought it was no longer available, but I, I just found from uh, a PhD who wrote to me asking about the tests, we found that the, the machinery is still available, and we're just looking for places now to, to use the machine and start running this ionized magnesium test. You're on the board of the Gersten Institute, right? Yes, that's right. They do some fabulous work, too. When I went to your website, I noticed in the blog that you're introducing coffee enemas, and I just thought it would be interesting to have you share where you stand about that. Yes, it, it was a big leap for me to talk about that because, you know, the, in in North America, we have such a bias to 
to sticking anything in those orifices, but <laughs> it was um, it was a modality that was used by Dr. Max Gerson you know, back in the, the early 1900s in his his treatment of cancer, and he found it one of the the great detoxifiers. Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez uses it, and he's getting the best um, treatment rate for pancreatic cancer. And when I've um, been at the Gerson uh, Institute in San Diego, I went through their program and and did my coffee enemas, and I found them, you know, very easy to do and and a great way, an external, uh, quote-unquote, way to detoxify because otherwise you're you're taking a lot of pills or you're doing a, a lot of juices or you're taking things that maybe you can't quite digest to detoxify. And for a lot of people, especially the clients that I deal with, they do need things that, uh, like the clay baths and the magnesium baths, they need external ways to detoxify because they're, it's almost like they're too toxic to take anything more by mouth. That's a good point. Dr. Gonzalez said he takes two coffee enemas a day. We had him on twice. He's a riot. He's fascinating, too. Yeah. <laughs> but do you take two or do you take one a No, day? no, I'll just take one uh, a few times a week. And how do you feel after you do it? I just feel great. I feel light. It's, it's never interrupted my normal bob movement, so I'll have a normal bob movement the next morning. It, I think it just sort of... Uh, it. Um, I don't know that it speeds up your metabolic processes, but it normalizes them. And um, what I find is that the liver, which has to detoxify everything you put in it, everything you breathe, everything you drink, I think it takes, um, it helps take the pressure off the liver. It helps kind of pull out the bile and therefore making bile production a lot uh, more efficient because um, what happens with bile is that it's reabsorbed countless times back to the liver. And if it's, if it's taking back with it uh, chemicals, then the body just keeps concentrating those chemicals. So I think pulling extra bile out of the, uh, through your enemas is probably a very good thing. I wish that more of us were finding this process less foreign. Dr. Gonzalez had shared that this is an ancient process. This is not new. It's mm-hmm. just that we're newly hearing that it's important. Well, I think I was desensitized to it a bit because I heard when I was a kid that my grandmother uh, was the head matron of um, a fever hospital in Montreal. And they used high colonic enemas as their form of detoxification. And I, you know, I just thought, well, that makes sense because, you know, if someone has a bad fever, I mean, some people can't, they find it even hard to drink when they you have a fever. I mean, you may be unconscious, but with an enema, you can actually introduce water into the body. Some of that water is reabsorbed to hydrate the tissues. And then it pulls out the toxins. So it's, to me, it's, uh, it's very simple and safe. Some, I've heard, I think there was one comment out of many, many comments on my coffee enema blog where someone said, oh, they didn't like it at all. It made them allergic to coffee. And, and this is 
one of these situations, and I've heard it many times, where the person just kept doing them and doing them and doing them. They didn't feel well, but they thought they should keep doing them. And I always say, look, if something doesn't feel right, you know, stop it immediately and find something that feels better. Some people will, you know, come back and blame their doctor for telling them to take a certain form of magnesium and it'll give them diarrhea for a month. And then they'll say, look, you made, you know, you made me sick with all this magnesium. Whereas, you know, if the magnesium gives you the laxative effect, find a different type of magnesium. I don't think I asked you about the calcium-magnesium relationship and what the actual percentage of what should be. Can you talk about that? Mm, yeah, that um, I know in the in the nutritional literature they um, they used to talk about two parts of calcium to one part magnesium, but over the years I found that at least one to one calcium magnesium or even two parts magnesium to one part calcium. For example, I take magnesium and no calcium and I just get I get my calcium with my diet. So I don't know my ratio, but I just know how I feel and I like the way I feel on that regime. How does you being a naturopathic physician impact what you're doing today since you were an MD first, right? Well, actually, I, in my mind, I was always a naturopath, and the only reason I went into medicine first is because there were no naturopathic schools anywhere near me. Where did you train? In Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Dalhousie University. So this was a very strict, very conservative medical school, and um, I don't know how I kept through it, but... Uh, <laughs> You've I, done well. I would be making my own yogurt and, and just get ridiculed constantly or, you know, doing a, I did an elective on acupuncture and, you know, everybody thought I was a quack. So it was, it was kind of tough, but, uh, you know, I, I made it through, whereas I, I've heard of other uh, people who have a, a naturopathic bent, they go into the medicine first and they just get so bombarded because, it's, there's a lot of scare tactics and peer, peer pressure and, and hazing that goes on in medical school to try to make everybody conform. You said the word hazing. You really mean hazing? Yeah, I mean, it, in a sense, I remember one of, my, um, one of my fellow students, he didn't like the wording of the Hippocratic Oath, and he complained about it, and they almost threw him out of medical school. Wow. What do you think about the Hippocratic Oath? Well, I, I haven't read it in a long time. I know when I, I didn't uh, go to my graduation ceremony, but when they, um, when I went to pick up my degree, they made me say the Hippocratic Oath and I crossed my fingers behind my back <laughs> because it says you must uphold the, the institute. You must uh, support your fellow doctors. It was like a, a recommendation to, you know, ignore society, but, uh, but just attend to your peers. I thought the Hippocratic Oath originally, correct me if I'm wrong, was about first doing no harm. That's one of the first sentences, but then it, it deteriorates after that. <laughs> I hear you. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. Nobody does. Years ago, I had taken some tests for thyroid by this supposed complementary medicine doctor in California. I went, I paid, and 
She refused to give me the results of my thyroid tests over the phone. I had to come pay another $250 to get them. Oh, my God. And I asked her to please call me on the phone and tell me, and she refused to do it. And I said, you've taken the Hippocratic Oath, and what you're doing is wrong. You better give me my results of that test. (laughs) So she called me in, didn't charge me, gave me the results of the test, and fired me as a patient. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What do you think of that? Yeah, I know. It's um, it's really gotten turned around. I went to medical school in the mid-70s, and there's so many things. Like um, there were no um, informed consents back then that people had to sign. And most of the time, people who had cancer, they weren't told they had cancer. Now, that sounds bad, but then when the informed consent process came in, it was like even if you had a 2% chance of having cancer, the doctor would blatantly just throw that at you and, and leave the person just stunned or you know, tell you what horrible things were going to happen to you, which, you know, when that's in your mind, it kind of attracts that type of thing. So um, the business of treating with drugs, we were told, well, you give a drug just for a short term and until the body recuperates and is able to take care of itself. But now drugs are being used like lifelong and mainly to, to benefit the pharma, pharmaceutical industry. Can you explain to us your translation, your perspective on what homeopathy is and how homeopathy is part of your work? Right. Well, homeopathy is um, a dilution, uh, an infinitesimal dilution of a plant or mineral or an animal. And um, to my mind, it's like you, uh, they do provings of these, these um, substances, these dilute substances, and then write out the proving. So if, um, if you take a diluted arsenic, then the person will have drooling and uh, I think eye pain, different symptoms, uh, paranoia. And so then that's all written down. The homeopath memorizes all these provings. And when they see a person with drooling and paranoia and eye pain, they'll say, oh, that suits uh, homeopathic arsenicum. So I'll give them that. And then the it's like on, um, gosh, it's called the law of similars, right? The law of similars, similar symptoms to the, the uh, symptoms that the homeopathic solution creates. But it's also almost like a vaccination where you give a little bit of something and it stimulates the immune system to take care of the problem. I remember one study where a group of rats were given arsenic and then they were divided in two and... Um, after the arsenic was completely out of their bodies, the one of the groups was given homeopathic arsenic, and they started excreting more arsenic. So it's like the, the remedy reminded the body that there was still a poison in it, and it helped it uh, excrete the poison. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, in a way, it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. I mean, these dilutions are really subtle, aren't they? They are, but I mean, if you think of it, Kim, the the hormones in our body are at at very tiny, you know, dilutions themselves. So 
the body is used to working on on very infinitesimal dilution, so it's it's quite capable of reacting at those levels. Why do you think homeopathy is so mysterious to the average person? The main argument I hear from the allopaths is that how can something so dilute do anything? And that's where their comprehension ends. They don't see the results. They don't see the the infants and the animals being treated by it and benefiting. They don't see that it works because they don't know how it works. Is Bach flower a homeopathic remedy? Not really. It's it's mainly just flowers that are steeped in an alcohol solution in the sunlight. So it's not shaken or or what we call succussed uh, as homeopathy is. Can you give us some more applications for homeopathy? It's fascinating. Well, um, I find it great with children. I wrote a book on uh, children's homeopathy. I mean, you'll um, you'll get a a child, uh, an infant who's starting to teeth and they have a big sweaty head and they're, you know, really sturdy kids, but they're, they're crying. They can't really break the teeth through. So you give them calcarea carbonicum, which is a calcium carbonate, and it helps them break their teeth through. Oh, interesting. You, you have a weepy, whiny child who maybe gets an, uh, pussy eye infection, and that's pulsatilla. You have a woman who's going through a really bad menopause, and she's dark and thin and cold and has kind of greasy hair, and that's sepia. So you learn what a, a remedy, the remedy picture is, and you can almost see someone, you know, walking into your office and say, wow. She really looks like a sepia or she really looks like pulsadilla. And very often the remedy will match the person and help kind of stimulate their, them at their, you know, physiologic level and shift their symptoms. Have you seen Roseanne Barr yet? She should come to you. Oh, is she a sepia? <laughs> I don't know, but I think she could benefit greatly. She lives in Hawaii. Oh, does she? Oh, right. She's got, she's on that nut macadamia nut farm or something. That's right. Uh-huh. I think she should become a patient. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, she'll, you'll calm her down. You'll get her on magnesium. You'll get all these tinctures. Right. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. Uh, yes, exactly. Do okay. you have a tincture for never say never? Well, yeah, they're <laughs> in the box flower remedies. There are rig- there's a remedy for rigidity, so I think that would be the remedy I'd, I'd probably have to take. I think she's becoming much more receptive and flexible and humorous and softer. Uh, that's great. Yeah, well, she's getting I like mean, a fine wine. She's turning out to be quite the grape. Yes, Hawaii can do that to people. <laughs> How long have you been in Hawaii? Three and a half years. I'll bet you wouldn't leave. Oh, no, it's just so fabulous here. I... You know, people will ask me to come and lecture or whatever, and I say, well, just set me up for a Skype and, you know, project me because I'm not moving. <laughs> Where are you? In Maui. Pretty. I've been to Maui. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, it's got two different two sides. You know, one side, the North Shore, it has big waves for surfing, gets a lot more rain. It's like a tropical forest, and a lot of people there are off the grid. I mean, they just live off the land. 
And over on the side I live on, it's all irrigated. It's got all the hotels. It's all manicured. (laughs) Everything's taken care of. (laughs) How's the air quality there? Is there still a lot of spraying of the air going on, or is that calmed down over there? Well, we don't have spraying, but they're still burning the sugar cane, and that's ridiculous, you know, rather than going for more modern methods. We get occasional VOG bog over from Big Island when the volcano is sort of active over there. And now supposedly we're getting radiation from Japan. But I just look at all these things that my my body is capable of transmuting them and I happily accept them. It sounds like you're either part kahuna or you've been working with many. Mm, well, you know, if you if, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> There's absolutely no sense in in attacking and fighting and being mad. I I love the phrase, um, if you're angry at someone, it's like you taking poison and expecting them to die. I love that. That's a great saying. It is. It is. It just upsets you. And I get it all the time. People will email me railing about the chemtrails and the radiation and this and that. And I say, well... You know, if you can change it, go ahead. But why waste your energy being angry? It doesn't do any good. You really are part kahuna. <laughs> Thank you. Have you been to any ceremonies on Maui? Oh, yeah. I um, I do a ceremony uh, with friends. Uh, we go up to Haleakala. Actually, there's one coming up right now for the winter solstice. So we'll go up and, and blow the horn and, and chant the chants and, and raise the sun up. You're a different kind of doctor, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's why I'm hiding out in Maui. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you, they call you the doctor of the future. I think I understand why, but why do you think they call you that? Well, actually, um, uh, what's his name? The uh, cardiologist, Sinatra. Yes. Dr. What's his Stephen Sinatra. Stephen Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Dr. Sinatra, when he first met me, I mean, this is going back maybe 15 years ago, and he heard about the naturopath and the MD and what I had to say, and he said, well, you're the doctor of the future. He said, that's what we need. We need people to know both forms of medicine, and he's right. And, and I actually thought when I went into medical school back in the mid-'70s that that's what would happen. It would be obvious that people could be benefited by diet and exercise and supplementation, and we would use the surgery and the, and the medications when we needed to, when the other things just weren't enough. But, uh, you know, I was sidewinded when the pharmaceutical companies started uh, taking over medicine and being in control and then putting all their drugs on the commercials. I, I used to do The View when we lived in New York. I was their alternative medicine specialist. And when the the drug ads started coming along, they kind of got rid of me because uh, I would think that in the contract of these drug companies, when they'll put up a couple million dollar ad, they wouldn't want a naturopath on right after them saying, oh, no, you don't need that statin drug or that blood pressure drug. You just need magnesium. (laughs) So then they bounced you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't on a contract. I was just a guest. But... um, you know, it it was really quite an experience watching them and how they tried to manipulate what I said and and you know, they didn't want me to make jokes because I would I would say the funniest things but the, the hosts, you know, they didn't appreciate it because they wanted to get all the laughs. laughs. 
Well, now the team is bigger, isn't it, on The View? It's quite a group there. Oh, I, I don't watch it. I mean, it's just so vacuous. It's just hopeless. If, you know, most people get their information from, from the TV now, and that's why we're so sick. What do you think about what's going on with the lighting, that there's an intent and an objective to alter the lighting throughout the United States on a federal and state level to switch us on to compact fluorescence, right? I'm out of that loop. My gosh, I didn't know that. And, you know, there'll be mercury bulbs and there'll be fluorescence, which is terrible for your biology. This is all under the guise of carbon. You see, everything carbon. The intent is to have it going on in the United States, the change effective 2014. Whoa. Different states starting in different times. I know that those complex fluorescent lights have mercury in them, but that, that's crazy. Yeah. I interviewed Dave at the Light Energy Company twice, and he sells full spectrum. And what was also interesting is that almost all of the light bulbs that we use in the country we get from China. So all China has to do is turn our lights out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It doesn't take much to turn the lights out. A lot of things coming into big changes and, you know, we'll do the best we can with what we do have a say about, but it's something to note. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, um, you did mention the um, Nutritional Magnesium Association at the beginning and Folks can go to nutritionalmagnesium.org, and I've written a booklet that's available free on that site. It's called Magnesium, the Missing Link to Better Health. So that's a basic primer in magnesium, and I just invite people to go there and also to come to my site, drcarolindean.com, and you can sign up for my free blog newsletter And the first four weeks of my online wellness program, you can get for free my Complete Now program. Do you have your own radio show or are you a guest on most shows? I'm a guest on most shows. So I I keep a listing of uh, shows in my CD, but I try to let people know when I'm on a show. I'll have to find out when when your show is going to be on and, and write a blog about it. Listen, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and the work that you're doing and actually the lightheartedness of you, mm-hmm. as well as the serious author, the holistic practitioner, the doctor, the naturopath that you are, the good person that you are. Carolyn Dean, thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to come back again and join well, us. Thank you very much, Kim. You're wonderful to speak with, and uh, this is a great show and a great service. I was looking at your website, and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's rainmaking time.